Welcome to Isaiah's Faith and Democracy, brought to you by Isaiah, a multiracial statewide nonpartisan coalition of faith communities dedicated to building a multiracial democracy. This podcast is a vehicle for congregations, clergy, people of faith, and Minnesotans of goodwill to act collectively and powerfully towards racial and economic equity in the state of Minnesota. Now here's your host, Janae Bates. All right. Well, welcome, welcome all of our listeners to Isaiah's Faith and Democracy. And this is your hostess with the mostest, Minister Janae Bates. And we are here with some wonderful Minnesotans. And today's conversation is going to be centered on child care. And of course, we are all in the, the midst of um, the COVID-19 um, coronavirus a crisis and pandemic here in Minnesota and all across the world. And this has affected so many families, so many of us. Um, I, I doubt that there's not one person who hasn't uh, been affected in one way or another. And what we're finding through this is that a lot of fields, a lot of industries are industries we've taken for granted. And we're starting to realize that it's those folks, those carers, those folks who we are now calling frontline workers, who quite honestly have always been, that they're they're starting to really get recognized for the amazing work they do, usually with very little pay, very little resources, and yet they do it because they truly care. And so today we have three amazing people in the room, in the virtual room with us, uh, who are going to talk about their work specifically around child care and why it is uh, so incredibly important for, for all Minnesotans today to be focused on it. So I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves. And while you're introducing yourselves, I want you to also reflect on specifically for our, our child care providers in the room, you know, why, why you even chose a caring position, why you chose a, a caring field like being a provider, and then we also have a representative in the room, and so why you've chosen to champion childcare. First, Nasro, uh, if you could introduce yourself uh, to our listeners. Hello, everybody. My name is Nasro. I am a child care center owner. Um, it's called Family First Choice Childcare in North Minneapolis, um, and currently we are still open and providing care to our families, the people that still need it. Some of um, my background is me and my mother and I have been in the early education field for about 10 years. We started um, with just a handful of kids as in-home providers, and soon we were able to move on up and serve almost 200 children at multiple locations. So sadly, we had to sort of downsize due to gentrification and displacement, but that's a conversation for another day. But um, now we just have this one location um, in North Minneapolis, and anybody who's in childcare knows that um, we don't do it for the money. It's a lot of hours and a lot of work, and um, a lot of times you just think, like, let me just stop and do something else. But then you have, you know, an infant that reaches out to you, and you're like, oh, no, I can't, I can't stop now. Or you have a kid that's reading for the first time, or a child that maybe has like some behavioral problems that's turning a corner or just the family services that we provide. You know, we don't just teach children. We're not just babysitters, but, you know, helping families find housing or helping a mother who's a single mom trying to find a job or trying to find a new place to live. It's just so much goes into it. And you think 
if I stop doing this work, where like the domino effects are endless. Every time you just think like this is too hard, you just think like, you know, you got to you got to keep going a little bit longer. Thank you, Nasro. Yes. So it sounds like the work that you do is is invaluable for not just the kids you care for, but their families uh, and and all of the the providers who are working with you. Uh, We also have Christina on the line. Uh, Christina, could you introduce yourself and tell us why you've chose to work in the caring field as a child care provider? Hi, I'm Christina Valdez. I'm the director of Listos Preschool and Child Care. We're a bilingual Spanish and English early education program in Rochester, Minnesota. And so when I think of my reasons, I sound pretty selfish. I really wanted a bilingual environment for my own daughters who I needed to raise, you know, speaking both English and Spanish so they can speak to their family here in Minnesota and in Mexico. And so it was knowing that I wanted that for them and knowing that there wasn't anything here in Rochester for that early years. And then also having seen the brain research about there's just lifelong benefits of early language learning and those high quality learning environments. And so I knew I wanted to create that for my daughters, but also for other children. And so, but it was really when we opened five years ago and the teachers came in and they just created these caring classroom communities where all the children's successes are all of our successes and their struggles are all of our struggles. And then it just grew into more of a family. And this past year, we were so proud. We able to do more adult education classes bilingual by bringing in community partners and our teachers would interpret. And so we could really connect you know, our families to other resources in the community they are, that are out there. So it's just been so amazing up until now when it's just been so, so hard. Thank you, Christina. Thank you. And then we have uh, Representative Pinto uh, in the room. Representative Pinto, uh, as an elected official, you've championed legislation that has lifted up the necessity for child care funding and support here in Minnesota. Um, so when you introduce yourself, we also kind of want to hear why is that it's so important to you? I am the chair of the House Early Childhood Committee, and that was something that I that I pushed for to um, to make sure to, to, to shine a light on what's going on with little kids in our state. And the reason that's so important to me is because um, I think it should be so important to everybody. Um, and when I, I was finding that when I, I was campaigning to first have this job, people would come to me with various issues, of course, right, because that the people are, are interested and care about so many different issues. And pretty much uh, everything comes back to if we can get off, get little kids off to a great start in their lives and give it enough time, then every other challenge our society faces um, can be addressed uh, and um, and just the potential little kids. And so for those who are taking care of those kids and their families and doing that work, um, it's important, you know, today that parents have someone caring that they can bring their child to, that they can have the confidence that somebody's taking care of their child as they're um, working and, uh, and taking care of their family's needs today. But then there's this importance in the long term, too. So to my mind, I, I guess I can't think of anything more important our society can do. And so I want to play my role in helping to make that happen. 
Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Rep. Pinto. Isaiah uh, has has most certainly been really heavily involved in working in uh, child care here in Minnesota because of all of the reasons that our guests have mentioned. We have our initiative, Kids Count on Us, in which both of our providers here um, are a part of, their, their, their child care centers are a part of, and also Rep. Pinto has been a great champion for the legislation that uh, many of our leaders and members have been pushing for. And, you know, we know that there's a child care crisis in Minnesota. There's been one long before this, this pandemic. But now that we're in it, now that we are in um, this, this coronavirus and, and public health pandemic, um, I really would like to hear from our providers about how has life shifted for you in these times. If we could start with Christina first. I've been thinking about this and it's just like, Every day is a new defeat rather than, you know, you think, oh, I'm going to look for the bright side and find out what's working. But it's just like, oh, you get the news and you're like, it's just something harder. I mean, our children aren't there. So we have we went from 37 children down to three, basically. And so it's so hard to not have that daily connection where that's really where we found the most fulfilling parts of our jobs is to have that connection with the children and their families and they just can't be there and we understand it's for for their health why they're staying home and we're we're glad that they're they're home and that they're safe but then um being able to com- continue to support our staff i mean we're a small kind of scrappy startup. So we have, when I look at our bank account, I have enough to pay one payroll in the bank account. And so I don't know where our, the next paychecks are going to come from. And so I'm like hopeful. Okay, we're going to get a, we're going to get a loan. Oh, it doesn't, we don't qualify. Oh, maybe they could get unemployment. We're under a church and so churches are exempt. And so maybe if that changes that when they keep expanding, maybe that will help. And then you're like, oh, the state today, they passed legislation that's going to really support childcare. And it's so exciting. But then it's hard because there's so many parameters around it that you have to be serving children of those emergency families. And we would love to. We haven't gotten any calls from families outside of our own that are needing care. And that's a good thing that these families, I feel like, hopefully have support already in place from their current provider or from their current their families already so those children are already in safe places we're not seeing a big influx of need so I worry that even though we're willing and and excited and want to help as much as we can that there's we're not able to so we're gonna not have the any additional state funding too and then our families, they're our priority and they are losing their jobs. They don't have no safety nets either for them. And so it's hard to hear, to be touching base with them and to hear that, know that they're still waiting on unemployment and they're not getting answers and they don't know what they're going to do next either. So every day it's just like, okay, there has to be a silver lining somewhere. So I keep looking ahead to the future and our next school year and what is our next school year going to look like and how are we going to do things differently and how are we going to, you know, reach out and build more connections. And even though we're having to do things virtually, is giving our staff a chance to rethink, you know, how they can connect with families right now. So but it's still hard and I still worry. It's like it's hard to sleep at night. 
Thank you, Christina. Yeah, I, I really want to honor the fact that that you are continuing to push to do the work. And even though there are, there are you know, like you see mentioned, three children um, who are at, in the, the center right now, which is, you know, that is that's tough, especially for you and for your the, the families and for your employees. And uh, so this is a, an unfortunate reality that so many centers are facing. I know Isaiah, we, we organize with about 200 child care centers across the state, many of them very small, owned by families, a lot of them owned by Somali women. And we've already had dozens report that they've needed to close their doors just because they can't financially sustain. Um, and and it's, it is a terrifying thing. Um, and there's also the reality that some of them are worried that they might not even be able to reopen. So we we most certainly want to honor what's going on right now. Nasra, I know you are able to, to remain open for now. So can you uh, tell us how has life shifted for you now that we're in the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I just could not relate more to what Christina was saying. Um, yes, we are still open. We still have a lot of our children because we have a lot of like Amazon workers and people that work in um, nursing homes and grocery store cashiers. So all those places are obviously still operating. So those children are still here, but I can only describe it as complete chaos and uncertainty, uncertainty for the present and uncertainty for the future. I think that any early education professional or somebody who works in childcare knows that the hardest part is the workforce and retaining and keeping great staff and I think that's the part that we're really struggling with right now because we have sort of down we've seen a a shift in our kids go down a little bit but our staff is remaining the same because I know if I let a single person go I don't know if I'm going to be able to replace them and I know that when I mean I'm thinking what's going to happen with the Department of Human Services when this is all over because they could come knocking on my door and say hey I need to see all your staff and I need to know, you know, is everybody here qualified? And I'm just, I'm terrified of that. So it's not just the financial aspect, but it's all the regulation. Um, That's really causing a strain on us right now. I think that um, just keeping staff is probably like my biggest worry right now. We have families who are obviously staying home as well, um, but people who are telling me that they're not being laid off, but they're not being given hours. So they're being told, hey, you're not on the schedule so that they won't be able to get unemployment. But yet they're not working and they're not making any money. So it's it's emotionally so draining. It's like every day it's like a new problem, like Christina said. And I personally don't have health insurance. So I'm like, I can't even get like the mental health services that I personally need for myself because I am going absolutely just my mind is so jumbled up it's every single day I wake up and I'm like okay is today the day that I'm gonna have to close my doors but the problem is is we still got bills to pay whether kids are here or not you know we still got to keep the lights on so it's the future is what's really really giving me like a lot of anxiety it's I have people who depend on me for their paychecks what's going to happen to them the families and the children that come here that 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 rely on us for food what's going to happen I have kids who have families who have called me and said, hey, I know the kids are not coming, but do you think we could still get some meals? And I'm like, I know how difficult that must be for a parent to have to ask that question. I can't even describe it. It's so difficult. Like our childcare system is already so fragile. And now it's just, it's not even an, like an exaggeration to say that the consequences are just going to be like devastating when this is over. And even now, when we're currently in it, 
it's just it's it's really really tough thank you nasro i i just want to like underscore one the need for healthcare across the board right that you know, we're talking about child care now, but we can't pretend that all these things happen in a vacuum. Things like having health care for everyone, everyone being human and actually needing it, you know, not just now, but we've needed it before and we're going to need it in the future. So that's that's so very true. And then also the, the need around workforce within the child care field, you know, that this is a, a, a career that really it needs and deserves to have folks who, who really care for kids and, you know, should be fairly compensated. And we know that the child care field right now, that's not happening, that the child care workers are, you know, really very, very much underpaid, being able to figure out how do we, how do we make this work for all of our families, regardless of what they look like or how much or little money they have, you know, or what languages they speak. That, that all these families actually deserve to have their kids in safe, loving, culturally appropriate places um, to be able to thrive and survive, right? And so, you know, Rep. Pento, you know, at the legislature, you know, we know that um, the governor has requested that the child care centers stay open if they can. And, and you're, you know, at the legislature <laughs> working through this. Um, what are you seeing there, particularly around what's going on with the coronavirus crisis? Well, so I think it's um, it's important first for listeners to understand, and this really connects with what um, Christina and Nasra both said, that this was an industry that was in really dire financial shape even before the, the virus and the people working in it and the parents paying for it. So uh, parents were paying um, just a huge proportion of their income for care. Um, you know, For infant care, it was as expensive as, as uh, paying for college in many cases. But at the same time, providers were receiving really, really low wages. Uh, um, I think uh, you know more than a third of of childcare providers um, were receiving public assistance, um, uh, but then it's not like the people who are who are running the businesses, as you know, because you have two people running them here. Um, it's not like they're um, they're making tons of money at all, and in fact. Um, just really, really struggling, and the reason for that is that if you if you kind of do the math and think it through, it it, it just doesn't work. I mean, we don't expect uh, when kids are over age five that families are going to be paying for the care and learning all day. That 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 wouldn't work, um, and in fact, uh, and so it doesn't work under age five either. So we just need to realize heading into this situation that already you had a a, a situation that was really, really challenging for everybody involved. Of course, the virus then has just tipped it over, made that um, situation even worse. So, uh, and I think the one thing is that, is that it really has um, uh, put a spotlight on how critical this industry is. Um, we can't have um, nurses at the hospital. We can't have folks checking us out at the grocery store. We can't have the people keeping our electricity and water running, all these critical things without having uh, them having a, a safe place for them to bring their kids. And, and as you say, a, um, a culturally responsive place uh, and all that. So it's really so, so important. Um, I want to note, so um, as you said, uh, Governor Walls requested um, that there be emergency funding to support the industry. And I'm really glad to say that yesterday the House and Senate did pass a $30 million bill to provide that funding. It's really a funding designed to make sure that our child care providers can remain open, but it's not necessarily tied to them providing care for 
for specific kids of specific um, what are called essential workers, the the healthcare workers and grocers and all. So um, Christina had made a comment that uh, because they don't uh, have kids right now who are children or essential workers, they wouldn't be eligible for funding. And that's actually not true. That um, that I'm glad to be able to tell Christina that she should be able to, as long as you're willing to prioritize those essential workers uh, and be willing to take them in, um, which I'm sure that she would, um, then in that case, uh, she should be eligible for, for funding under the under the bill that just passed yesterday. All right. Wow. Well, Look, there's hopefully some some light at the end of some of these tunnels here, even in this in this podcast. We we know that child care workers that they have been caring for our children and Minnesotan families for years and, and doing so in their own child care crisis. Right. Um, and, and you continue to push on and, and do it so lovingly and caringly and in community. And so now uh, you're doing it in, in this coronavirus crisis. And so as you continue to care for us, um, how can Minnesotans care for you? And, and not just now, but for years to come. How, uh, and Nasro, if you want to go first. Yeah, I think it has taken this sort of pandemic to put the, the, the paradox of our child care system sort of into focus. Our child care system is already extremely fragile, yet, you know, child care is an essential service that's so critical to our economic activity, not just know, during this pandemic, but just in general all the time. And social programs are just, they're demonized and people who utilize them are vilified for political reasons. And now we're seeing the consequences of not having these strong safety nets that we really need. And we're seeing the return on investment. We're seeing what happens when we don't prioritize childcare, when we don't prioritize the workers who are critical, like in grocery stores and nursing homes and hospitals. So I think that as a community, as a society, like we understand that all these people are, are very important, but we just need the people who are making the decisions. Like that disconnect, that's what we have to really get a hold of. So I think that this is going to be a really great opportunity for Minnesotans to say, hey, these are the people that are extremely important all the time, not just, you know, when we're going through life or death crises, but the people that we need to sort of center in our policies. Um, so that when something like this does happen again, hopefully it doesn't, but you know, disease happens, that we get that return on investment, that healthcare and education and workers are centered so that we know that everything is going to be okay during the good times and the bad times. So I think that as a, as a, as a community, as a state, we can really push for the future that I think we all want during this time of great uncertainty and great stress, we can come together and say, hey, we know the people that are important. We know the work that's important. And that's what we want centered. And we reach out to our legislators and reach out to the people making the decisions, our governor, and say, hey, we are not going to be divided anymore. We've seen what happens when we don't prioritize these things. And we want people-centered policies moving forward. Thank you so much for that. Um, and, and Christina, what about you? You've been caring for, for families um, with your center for, for four years now. How can, how can Minnesotans care for you? I agree with everything that Nazra said. And I was trying to think of what a typical, just a regular everyday person could do. And it's really to get involved in, if you have a child, to get involved in their school or their child care center or their child care provider or if you don't have a child, just to get involved in your neighborhood school. 
each program, each school, each facility has its own specific set of needs. And so it's really to to find out what those needs are and what skills you have that, that could be beneficial. Like you could be on a board of directors or you could help in a classroom or you could, you know, just even help connect with technology. But then I'm also thinking you can also vote. You can vote for the people who will really stand up um, to prioritize early education and specifically um, to really make some systemic changes to ensure that all children are getting those those early experiences that are going to have a lifetime benefit, not just for those children, but for all, everybody in our whole society is going to, you know, be living and working and, and together here. So to make sure that everybody has a strong start and to really... It's not just the government being stepping up to to make those changes, but really communities to doing like some more community partnerships between early childhood and businesses or other organizations to build those connections. So we're not all in silos because we are all together. And yes, we're supporting the children during the day, but their parents are at work and so they need the support too. So it's really to have everybody you know, working together to to create change. Thank you so much, Christina. And then Rep Repento, uh, how can how can Minnesotans care for our child care providers, our kids and our families? Um, not just now, but years to come. I feel like the first step is just to to commit ourselves, each one of us, to the idea that what happens with little kids and their families is critically important for all of us, that we that we center them in our work. It occurs to me that we tend to to separate out kind of child care from from early learning, even when we think about this. You know, we kind of tend to think of those things separately and to realize that the work that Christina Nazaro and the folks who work with them do is is providing this service to families right now and that's so critical. We need uh, families need that support. And then also, as they both were talking about, and Christine just, uh, just Christina just then, um, is that long-term impact uh, as well, that the work that, that they are doing is work that um, that has such a big payoff for all of us. And so uh, to advocate with your um, elected officials and with um, and with everybody uh, for the importance uh, of that. And so, um, and we've been trying at the Capitol to, to raise that um, and had a, a proposal called the Great Start for All Minnesota Children Act and still do, um, and really want to encourage folks just in, in whatever way to, um, to put put little kids and their families at the center. Thank you. Thank you. So so we know that, you know, as we're we're all in this pandemic together, we've never become more uh, cognizant of how interconnected we are and how interconnected all these issues are, you know, child care and health care, even our, our just getting our basic needs met, being able to get food from the grocery store. Right. And so we are realizing that it's not necessarily just the virus and the health, like the physical bodily health impact that has been so damaging with this virus, but it's actually been revealing to us to see that there's been so many chinks in the foundation of how we've operated as a country, as a world, um, where we have tended to prioritize profit and, and finances over the human bodies that that actually are what makes those things worth anything, right? And so hopefully we don't have a short-term memory once we come out on the other end of this, that we continue to work together, that the Minnesotans who are listening to this podcast find ways to, to push for more, for more to be possible, so that even so after 
we, you know, get on the other side of the coronavirus crisis, that we actually have started to build the world that we all deserve, no matter what we look like, where we come from, where we live, or how much or little money we have, that we can actually have a world that works for every single one of us, no exceptions. And so I really want to thank all three of you, uh, Christina, Repinto, Nesro, for being on this on this podcast with us today about childcare. And I want to thank you wholeheartedly for the amazing work that you all do every single day. Thank you listeners for joining us on Isaiah's Faith and Democracy. And we look forward to being with you again very soon. This has been Isaiah's Faith and Democracy. Isaiah is a multiracial, multi-faith, statewide, nonpartisan coalition of faith communities. Isaiah can be found online at isaiahm.org, spelled I-S-A-I-A-H-M-N dot O-R-G. Please hit subscribe on whatever service you found this podcast to make sure you are informed of future shows. Isaiah is a nonprofit organization that survives on your donations. Please consider supporting this podcast by visiting our website and clicking donate at the top of the homepage. We sincerely thank you. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are of the host and guest alone and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Isaiah or Minnesota Podcasting. We hope you join us for the next episode of Isaiah's Faith and Democracy.